0: A couple of things I want to show you before we get into the study. Now, you guys know Jesus is coming, right? And do uh, you guys know, hopefully you're aware of the fact that he can come at any moment. You know, it really helps us to understand the truth of that, that we are living in the light of his imminent return. And so one of the things that, that we uh, always tell the church is that the, one of the ways that you can tell uh, where we are in the prophetic calendar is by looking at Israel. You know, Israel has always been God's sign to the world. And you guys know, you've heard me say this a million times, you know, in the 1948, they became a nation again. 1967, they 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 regained control of Jerusalem. But there's still little things in that, little nuances, little details in that that are being worked out. And so I just wanted to show you guys a couple of headlines from today. I just went online and I was looking at the news And the first one is regarding this coin. I don't know if you guys knew about this. It's interesting. Israeli organization reveals Trump coin in expression of gratitude over the embassy move. And you guys know, I mean, to me, um, I know some of you guys like Trump, some of you don't. That's not really what this is about. This is about um, God coming and showing a sign to the world. Now, it's interesting The the temple coin here that they're going to be minting depicts King Cyrus who allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem 2,500 years ago. And right there next to King Cyrus is Trump. Imagine that. It's kind of funny, huh? But, you know, Trump, um, I mean, Cyrus was, this is basically what what I'm trying to tell you is that these is biblically epic things that are going on. You know, Trump uh, announced to the world that he was wanting to move the embassy to Jerusalem. And what that is is basically saying to the world that we, the most powerful country in one sense in the world, we're backing up Israel. We are, we are at one with them. We are acknowledging Jerusalem as their capital. And I don't know if you realize that or not, but that is huge. This is biblical prophecy coming to pass in our lifetime. And so, you know, John Corson would say the way that you kind of know where we are in biblical prophecy is, in one sense, you look at Israel, it's, uh, it's God's, you know, first hand, and then Jerusalem is God's second hand. And so I'm just telling you this so that you'll be ready. Because if you're not ready and you get left behind and then you get mad at me, you're like, man, he never said anything, Yeah, <laughs> Listen, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, things are happening in Israel. Things are happening in Jerusalem. And, and this next uh, highlight right here, this next headline that we see from today, and I know you guys, uh, I'm sure you've heard about the fact that, you know, this, uh, this strike from Syrian forces into Israeli territory, the first of its kind. I don't know if we realize it or not, but this is unprecedented. And the retaliation on Israel's part uh, from Israel into Syria, the, the first of its kind. Israel has a, this is a mentality. They say, if anyone hurts us, we're going to hurt them seven times more. And if anyone even thinks about hurting us, we're going to hurt them before they hurt us. That's their mentality. That's what Benjamin Netanyahu said, Okay. So we know that uh, Syrian forces are, are, what's happening is Iran is setting up bases in Syria, and they're the ones that attacked Israel. So Israel retaliated. We also know that Syrian forces are backed by Russia. And basically what we find in, and when you read your Bible, and I want to encourage you, if you don't know this, go, go back and read Ezekiel 36 and 37. And what those chapters teach us is that in the last of the last days, Israel would become a nation again. And then we see that happening in 36 and 37. They would be fruitful. They would be prosperous. And then in Ezekiel chapter 38, the Bible says that there would be a Russia and Iran alliance that would invade Israel. Now I mentioned to you that I was looking at the Jerusalem Post and what their, there was an article on the front page of the Jerusalem Post that said, leave Benjamin Netanyahu alone. I don't know if you realize this or not, but in, in one sense, you know how kind of America is wanting to take Trump down because we're a divided country? Israel's like that too. There's a lot of uh, Israelis that want to take Benjamin Netanyahu down. But the article was, in one sense, a non-biased article and what it said was, "Leave him alone, because he's the only one that can lead us in the impending war we are about to have with Syria, with Iran." And so, even they know that this is all this is all about to happen. It's all, we're on the brink. And so, you know, when you read the Bible, we don't know what happens first—the rapture or the invasion. Of Israel, And so all I'm saying is that if you're not ready, uh, then you better get ready or you're going to be left behind. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a passage. It's a crazy passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that says, If you didn't believe when you could believe, then when God comes and takes away the church, he's going to send a strong delusion on those who had the opportunity to, to believe and they didn't. And so if you're playing games, you know, if you got one foot in and one foot out, if you're not all in, then I want to encourage you uh, to make sure that you give the Lord your whole heart. okay? because we're again, I'm not only the Lord knows. I mean, you guys know me. I'm not real sensationalistic. There's so many other things that we could talk about. But I just I just feel like I'm compelled. I have to tell you that it looks pretty close. okay? so let's pray. Lord, we. We do thank you for, Lord, your word. We're not ignorant of these things, Lord. Even, your word even says that to us it won't come as much of a surprise because we know the signs of the times. And so, Lord, help us to, to get ready. Help us to stay ready. Help us to live life in light of your imminent return. Lord, I do pray that you would work in us. And, and Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that all we have to do is rest in Christ and let and you do the work inside of us. Lord, I thank you for what you've done. And Lord, I, I do pray, Lord, for all those hurting, so many things, uh, families that are grieving, Lord, bodies that need to be mended and touched, and Mario, Lord, just asking as a church, all of us, Lord, hear our cries. Take care of him, protect him, or bring him home. We do love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray now as we study your word together that you would speak to our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to Psalm chapter twenty. And I want to, maybe I can teach you guys a little saying tonight. Warren Worsby uh, came up with it. He said, your days of trouble can become days of triumph if you trust in the name of the Lord. Your days of trouble can become your days of triumph if you trust in the name of the Lord. Now, some of you guys may be basketball fans. You're watching what's going on uh, with, with the Warriors and the Cavs and, you know, the Rockets. I'm kind of wondering what's going to happen in this whole thing, you know. But, but the thing about it and the, the, the thing that I see even in my own life is that some win and some lose. That's just the bottom line. That's the way life works. That's the way it is, you know. And, you know, you got, you know, whatever, James Harden. And as an individual, he's worked hard. He's going to win, perhaps, the MVP. Question, what's going to happen to his team? You know, and in one sense, that's the way it is for us as a church. You know, you have individuals. You have congregations. You know, my prayer, you guys, is that, that we would win. We would be triumphant. We're not competing against each other. We're competing against the best possible me. That's the victory, Right. And so uh, we're going to go through difficulties, we're going to go through troubles, and so we go back to today. In one sense, today, Psalm 20 is the key to victory, the key to victory, and your, your days of trouble can become days of triumph if you trust in the name of the Lord. And so we begin reading here in verse 1, it's the, to the chief musician a Psalm of David, and it's a prayer, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. And so in one sense, it's an interesting prayer. It's a prayer that God would answer your prayer. That's kind of what it is, huh? You know, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. You know, he's saying, God, answer their prayers. May, 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 Lord, when they get on their knees and they're crying out and they're asking for victory, God, would you answer their prayers, especially those prayers prayed during the days of trouble? He mentions the, the day of trouble, and that's an interesting topic as well. You know, Jesus said that every day has its troubles, and I think we all Know about that, right? How many of you guys got in trouble today? Just out of curiosity. You know, every day, you know, it's got challenges and things go our way. Jesus said in Matthew 6.34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so every day has its troubles. We need to take it one day at a time. We need to take one day at a time to the Lord. Listen, don't lose sight of today because there's a fight for today. If you do, you're going to lose, but... We got to make sure that even though there are troubles every day, there are certain days, certain seasons of life that are even more so. There, there are times in your life, and I don't know if you realize this or not. You know, sometimes I don't know if it's just the, the world that we live in that's fallen, or if it's the enemy who steps it up and attacks you. He doesn't like you know the potential that you have. He doesn't like you know the, the good things that you're doing, and so don't think that Satan just sits back and, and does nothing that he, he strategizes while you sleep and he attacks us in certain ways and on certain days, you know, there are, in one sense, every day has its trouble, but there are times in life where it's kind of like double trouble. Maybe you're here and that's something that's going on in your life today. There's a double trouble. There's a, There's what Ephesians 6.13 refers to as an evil day where the enemy is hitting you hard, trying to discourage you with that double-edged sword and defeat you. And so David is saying, may the Lord answer your prayer in the day of trouble. And we see this frequently in the Psalms. And and basically what we need to do, the most important thing I can share with you tonight is that we really got to make sure that we step it up in our prayer life. You know, Psalm 50 in verse 15 says, call upon me. God says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You're you're going through what you're going through because God's going to bring you to that place of prayer. He's going to deliver you and you will glorify God. And that's what we want. You know, Psalm 77 in verse 2, it says, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. That's what we have to do. Seek. The Lord, his face, keep on seeking and you will find. You will find me, God says, when you search for me with all of your heart. You know, Psalm 77, it says, My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. That's how he sought the Lord. Can you visualize him there with his hand stretched out? I mean, this guy's really seeking after God. Psalm 86, verse 7, in the day of trouble I will call upon you for you will answer me. The funny thing is, a lot of times people don't pray. They do everything else but pray. God says, no, you got to pray. you got to seek him and call upon him and know that he'll answer you. And then Psalm 102, verse 2, do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call and answer me speedily. And so... You know, in, in those days of trouble, and it could be you, it could be your kids, it could be your work, it could be your ministry, it could be something going on physically, something financially, I mean, you name it, relations. I mean, just so many things that, you know, we struggle with and we're wondering. And I was like, talking to my, my wife and daughter on the way over here what's the battle? What, what, what's, what battle are you in? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what's the battle that you're engaged in right now? You know, I think it's helpful to know what the battle is because when we know what the battle is, then we'll know what the temptations are. And we'll talk about that in, as we go through our text. But, but you know, in one sense, like, like I said, this psalm is a prayer that God would answer our prayers. And uh, if you study it out, you'll find that some even say it's a, it's a prayer that kings would pray before they go out to battle. And yes, even kings need to cry out to the Lord themselves. You know, I was reading about this. It's interesting. Leaders, politicians, presidents, and pastors are blessed because we have so many people praying for us. But Matthew Henry said, even the greatest of men must be much in prayer. Let none expect benefit by the prayers of the church or their friends who are capable of praying for themselves, yet neglect it. Like as a pastor, a leader, a president, you can't say, well, I'm cool because everybody's praying for me. No, you better be praying. This psalm is really a psalm of the kings before they would go out to battle. And so David prays that their prayers would be answered. And then he continues in verse 2, and and he he says, "May, May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. The sanctuary is symbolic of the temple in heaven, and Zion was the city of David. It was the holy hill in Jerusalem. At times it represents the city of God, the temple of God, and, and even the throne of God. That's Zion. In verse 6, it's called the holy heaven. The holy heaven. May the Lord you know, send you help out of that sanctuary, and may he strengthen you. Now, that's two different things. A lot of us here, we need help. Thank God God sends us help. God sends us a a helper. Maybe she's your wife or a friend. They come into your life. They start lifting you up in prayer. It's, uh, It's so cool when God sends reinforcements. He sends help from the sanctuary. And then he not only sends help, but he strengthens you. And that's what he's saying in this battle right here. As you're going out to battle, and I don't know... If you guys, uh, you know, I'm sure even the girls can, you know, probably visualize it because nowadays even girls wrestle and, and stuff, and they, they, they fight, huh? They do that fighting. What's it called, MMA? Whatever, I don't know what it's called, but I, you know what I'm talking about? It's crazy. You know, but going out to war, you know, you're here, you got your sword, you got your, you know, your armor on, and you're going to go out to war, and you're going to be swinging that sword? You know you're going to be, you know, dodging the the, the strikes that are that are that are going your way. I mean, you're going to be running and moving and 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 you know just in the spiritual sense. That's what's going on. And so may God send you reinforcements from Zion, the sanctuary, the holy hill, from the top, and may He strengthen you. David prays that God would send reinforcements. He continues his prayer in verse three. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice, Salah. And, of course, you know, you guys remember we read in 1 Samuel 7, 9 through 10, and uh, chapter 13, 9 through 12, before they would go out to war, they would, you know, offer up the sacrifices that were necessary. And, and we're going to come back to this later because here's the end. Here's the, the, the beautiful thing is that the, really the key to victory is, is, is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the key. We're going to see that, you know, it's just so beautiful, the way that our trust has to be in him. You know, verse 4, May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. And I, I love this verse. To me, it's one of my favorites in the Bible. Um, and we're going to see later in Psalm 21, verse 2, that God did indeed give him, his heart's desire and withheld nothing that, that David had requested from his lips. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that God always gives us what we want. You know, like, hey, God, you know, gave me the desire of my heart and every prayer that I prayed, he gave me what I wanted. Not not like that, you know. Thank God that he doesn't give us everything we, we ask for because we don't know what's best for our lives. Those of you who are parents, I mean, if you had to say... You have to say no more than you say yes because your kids don't know. They would like to have Skittles for breakfast and, you know, you say no. And, you know, they would like to stay up late and whatever, watch cartoons. And maybe some of you say yes. Most of you say no. You know what I'm talking about? And so, you know, what we're talking about here, though, when God gives you your heart's desire, is, is it talking about someone who is radically being changed into the image of God. You see, what happens, however, as we grow in the Lord, as we mature in Christ, then our desires begin to change. Now, our desires begin to line up with God's desires. You begin to have an ear to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's interesting the way that He changes your heart. Before you, you know, you you wanted junk food. You would never come to a Thursday night service, but now, you know, for the for the most part, most of you are here. Because you want to be here and your desires are starting to change. And that's what ends up happening even in, in our prayer life. It, it kind of goes back to Psalm 37, verse 4, where the Bible says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I tell you what, when you delight yourself in the Lord, man, when you fall in love with him, and I tell you guys this, all the time, the way that you You know, you get to love God is by by getting to know God. When you get to know God, then you're going to love God. You're going to delight yourself in him. So get to know him. Read the Bible. Let God reveal himself to you. Listen to the way that he's always talking to you. He's always taking care of you. Delight yourself in the Lord. And then what ends up happening is that he gives you the desires of your heart. He begins to change you. And, and as he, he changes our prayer life, you know, when that, when that girl first started praying, she would pray, Lord, I want him because he's tall, dark, handsome, rich, and buff. And Lord, I want him now. Right? That's, what, that's the way her prayer was in the beginning. But then after she grows in the Lord, she prays, Lord, please bring me a man who loves you. Bring me a man who loves you with all of his heart. Oh, Lord, please bring me the one you intended for me. I want no one else but him. And, Lord, I pray this would come to pass when we're both ready and not a second sooner. You see, what happens when you change, when you grow, when you fall in love with the Lord then he changes your desires and then he changes your prayers. And next thing you know, you're getting everything you want almost. Because it's lined up with the will of God. Psalm 37:4: Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You know, there's an interesting passage in Philippians 2. And I'm sure you're familiar with it. Verses 12 through 13 where Paul Writing to the Philippians, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And this really lines up wonderful with our passage for tonight, because eventually we're going to get into the word purpose. Purpose, your purpose in life your purpose in life that that's the same thing as working out your own salvation not talking about working for salvation you're saved for the blood you're saved by the blood you're saved by faith that's a done deal now the question is are you going to do what you were destined to do now the question is whether or not we will fulfill our purpose for which he saved us right and so that's what he talks about work out your own salvation with fear and trembling do this reverently don't do this Casually Do this seriously with all your heart. Why? Because it's God who works in you. He's working in you both to will and to do. In other words, he's the one that put the desire inside of you. And as you're you're listening to the Lord and you're going with the desires of your heart, you begin, man, to fulfill God's plan for whatever it is he wants you to do in life. As we grow in Christ and yield to the Lord, he begins to lead us. A lot of times he leads us with the desires of our heart. You know, I mean, I, I can tell you this. I always tell young people, you know, the the young adults or ones that just graduated from high school. You know, I say, number one, you know, because they're like, well, what should I do in my life? I say, number one, you got to put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So number one is put God first. But number two, what do you like to do? Let me ask you, man, God made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. What do you enjoy doing? Well, you know, I thank God, like A.C. Green, he liked playing basketball. He got to play basketball or Tim Tebow, football, baseball, all that kind of stuff, you know, and he gets to do what what he enjoys doing. I mean, I tell you what, try that, you know, an artist, a teacher, a coach, a musician. I don't know. As long as God's first, then you begin to follow the Lord with the desires of your heart. You know, I remember for myself, when I first became a Christian, God put a love to read his word inside of me. Now, I don't, you know, before I was a Christian, I couldn't, I, I didn't read anything except for the sports page, man. And, you know, when I got saved, all of a sudden I had this insatiable desire to read God's word. Not only that, he began to put a love for people inside of my heart. And I didn't used to have that before I was a Christian. Before I was a Christian, I mean, I was, uh, I was not a people person. I wasn't. But God started changing my heart. God started changing the desires of my heart. You know, and my fires, my desires, little did I know that seven years later, I would become an assistant pastor, and then seven years after that, a senior pastor. How did that happen? I, I can't tell you. It was anything that I planned or anything. It was part of it, man, was the way that God put the desires inside of me for his word and for his people. And then he granted me those desires. You know, David, he got the desires of his heart. He got so blessed. And I and I think for David, it wasn't necessarily that he wanted to be king. I want to be king. No, it wasn't like that. He, wanted, he had a heart of a shepherd. He wanted to bless the people. He didn't want to be a king so that he could be served. He wanted to, to be a king so that he could serve. And then when God... Anointed him, Samuel anointed him. There was a promise in his heart. He didn't bring it to pass. He didn't make it happen. He didn't manipulate it. He didn't take the bull by the horns. He let God do it. And then eventually, when God did it, it was something that, man, it lined up with the desires of his heart. You know, I don't know. I I, I encourage you. You know, what do you like doing? I mean, some people, it's just so beautiful to see, and I wish. You know, we all kind of had certain desires, but, man, I love the way that some they go and they just they love to minister maybe to the homeless people or others are out there. You know, they have a desire to be missionaries. I will tell you this, that, you know, when I first got saved, I didn't really have the desire to go out and, and do missions, but then I did it, and then the desire got, it got inside of me. You know, if I had it my way, I probably would be a missionary or a fifth-grade teacher, one of those two, man. You know, but I don't know, you know. And then God begins to birth ministries that way. You know, the pastor, the assistant pastors, we can't do everything. God will put desires inside of your heart. And one day, you'll, you know, you're going to come up to us because God will raise you up. And God, you're going to start a ministry. Why? Because God just starts moving inside of your heart. And so this is what happens. You know, when you read this a psalm, May, may grant, uh, David says, you according to your heart's desire. So beautiful and fulfill all your purpose. And then in verse 5, he says, We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. And so the banners would go up before and after the battle. And some of you guys have banners up, huh, in your house. How many of you guys have you know, like scriptures up on your wall, and you got the, the paintings, the, the biblical scenes, and stuff like that. It speaks of victory. I know we do, even in our in our bathroom, man. We have them everywhere, right? Um, and and verse six. Now I now I know. David says that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Now, now, when you look at this psalm, again, the context speaks of the king. He's the anointed one. But in the context of the scriptures, this now speaks to all of us as Christians, right? Christ means anointed one. Christians mean the anointed ones, plural. And that's who you are. You guys know that? You're like, oh, it's, you know, it's whatever, you know, the pastor or the missionary, the evangelist. Absolutely not. I mean, we couldn't do what we get to do if it weren't for every single one of God's anointed children. And you have the Holy Spirit on you, and you're his child. I mean, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 121, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. And, and John, in writing to the church, he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And so, you know, God saves his anointing. God will answer your prayers. In the day of trouble, we will triumph if we trust in the Lord. And I'm part of the way that we're going to trust in the Lord is we're going to pray and we're going to watch out for those unique temptations uh, along the way. And we'll talk about it in verse, uh, the next verse right here. Look at verse 7. It says, Some trust in chariots. And some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Now now some see this psalm as a as a king's reminder again before he goes out to battle. And as you're going out to battle, David really wants them to check their hearts. You know, is your trust in the Lord, or is your trust in your horses? Is your trust in your chariots? Is your is your trust in your own resources? Or is your trust in me? I tell you what, if you're here tonight and your trust is in the Lord, God is going to use you in a powerful way. You're going to become a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, and you're not going to rely on those other things. You're going to be able to take steps of faith because your trust in the Lord. You know the, the chariots and the horses. Of course, from a military perspective, was a, human, a huge advantage. Now, you guys probably seen those movies, right? And It's kind of cool the way that we can see them nowadays, where the cavalry just mows down the opposition. I mean, that's what it, what a horse was in those days. A chariot was like a tank. You know, but but God, He didn't ever want His people to ever trust in in chariots or, or horses. And, and of all people, Israel should have known, you know, better than that. Because remember when they came out of Egypt, Pharaoh pursued them. You know, they got there and they on the brink of the, the sea, you know, and the army's coming after them. And it wasn't just an army. It was 600 chariots. There you are. You got no weapons. 600 tanks are coming towards you. What did God do? God set a fire as a wall. Then he divided the Red Sea. He brought his people through. Once they got through, the you know, Pharaoh said, I'm going to go after him." And remember, all 600 of his chariots went after him. And in that sea, they all drowned because God defeated their chariots. You know, we, we trust in numbers, but God says, no, I want you to trust in, in my name. Listen, with each trouble, there is unique temptations to trust in. Something or someone other than the Lord. So now we're talking about a military battle, and obviously the temptation is going to trust in the tanks. I was reading about Israel. They have, uh, I think, uh, 2,600 tanks as opposed to Iran, which has somewhere around 1,600. And Israel has uh, uh, close to 600 fighter jets, whereas Iran has 500. And then they're comparing the subs and then. They're comparing the, the soldiers, you know, and, and the thing about the battle in Ezekiel thirty eight is that it's not it's not going to be you know the tanks or the jets per se or the soldiers. It's going to be God, and and the same is true in our life. You know, we're going to be tested. You know, and I don't. I, there's a lot of things that we can talk about here. For example, you know, you're 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 hurting financially, and uh, and you know, therefore, you know, you don't want to give to the Lord. Because you don't trust him. you know, And what happens, a lot of times people say, you know what, I trust the Lord. I'm going to give to the Lord. And then and he blesses. Or if you're hurting physically. And, you know, a lot of times what ends up happening is people will trust in the doctors. You know, one of the kings of Israel, it says uh, he sought the Lord. I mean, he sought the physicians over the Lord. Now, it's okay to go to the doctor. It's okay to take your medicine. It's okay to do those things. But let me ask you a question, man. Are you praying? Are you fasting? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you really trusting in him? You know, I mean, even me, and I'll, and I'll share this with you guys, you know, wearing my heart and the sleeve a little bit, you know, wanting to do the work in the church and then taking this guy right here and saying, okay, he's struggling with whatever it is that he's struggling with, you know, and sometimes I, I trust in myself. I say, well, I'm going to take this guy and I'm going to lift him up and I'm going to carry him through life. And then eventually he starts getting heavy. And I, can't, I can't do it. God says, Manny, don't trust in yourself. Trust in me. Well, Lord, let me just send him a text. Let me send him an email. Let me, you know, invite him to lunch. Let me, you know, just carry him through life. And God says, no, pray for him. Love him. Be be led by the Lord. But what ends up happening is then God gets a hold of his life. Because isn't that what we want? We don't want to prop people up. You know, sometimes I I wonder about people even sitting in service. I wish they would sit in service more you know, let me make them certain service some more. And and then the God just says, Man, just get it, you know, let the Lord deal with them. The ones that want to come, they'll come. You can't do it. I can't do it. We gotta trust in the Lord. And then what ends up happening is the burden is taken away. You know, all I know is that, you know, whatever your you know situation is, there's gonna be a unique temptation to try to su- trust in Anything or anyone else but God. And what you have to do is you have to trust in God. You know, it's interesting with the children of Israel and the chariots and the horses. In in Joshua 11, verse 6, and Joshua 11, verse 9, the Lord, you know, He told them, when you get those horses and chariots, this is what I want you to do. I want you to hamstring those horses, and I want you to burn those chariots. Because if you keep them, you might trust in them. And it's real interesting when you, when you see that to hamstring a horse was to cut the sinew in the back leg so as to render the animal incapable of speed. And so Joshua did that. When he uh, was facing this crazy army from the north, I mean, the, the people were like the sands of the sea. He captured their chariots, which when you look at the promised land, this is the big stuff, man. And he, and he and he burned the chariots and he hamstrung their horses because he didn't want to make he't want to make sure I don't trust in anything or anyone other than the Lord. David did the same thing in second Samuel chapter eight verse four. It says David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for a hundred, even though he had taken a thousand chariots. You see God wants his kings to hamstring the horses so they wouldn't depend on them. See if you multiply horses and chariots to yourself, then what's going to inevitably happen is that you're going to trust in them. And when here's something and we're almost done here, the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus. Lord, you know, I want to get saved. What do I lack like to get saved? Keep the commandments. Well, I've been keeping the commandments. It's okay. I, I tell you, I can tell you're really, you're really serious about this. Huh? You really want to go forward in your relationship with God. You really, You really want to take it to the next level, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, this is what you need to do, bro. You need to sell everything that you have, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. And you guys remember what the rich young ruler did? He just put his head down and walked away. Why? Because Jesus said he trusted in his riches. You know, and then there's a lot of things. I mean, we got to sometimes we got to take that risk. I mean, Peter and John, I mean, John and James, lucrative fishing business. Jesus said, Follow me. But we're making a lot of money right here. Lord, follow me. They split, quit their jobs, follow Jesus. So you got to be really careful that you don't trust in your, in your riches. But here's, here's the most important one of all. And, and this is kind of, you know, this is really where, where it's all at. And that is this. You know, the, the, the rich young ruler, he trusted in his riches. But the Pharisees, they trusted in their own righteousness. And, and at the end of the day, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to sanctification, when it comes to life as a Christian, uh, this is a hard one. But you know what? Don't trust in your own righteousness. Don't trust in your own godliness. Trust in, in, in Christ. Trust in His riches. Trust in His cross. Trust in His blood. Trust in Him. That's how we're saved. We're saved that way. We're saved by trusting in His righteousness, not ours, but then as we continue to go as a Christian, a lot of times I think we trust in our own righteousness. Well, I'm going to, you know, do it, man, because I'm, I got it all together and I got the, the I dotted and the T cross and now I can get involved in ministry and now God can use my life, man, because I, I got it all together. But when you don't got it all together, you're the most miserable person in the world. Why? Because you're trusting in your own righteousness. Listen, it's all grace and it will always be all grace. And you, we can't even change ourselves. Only God can. And when that begins to, like, really hit home, you're trusting in Him. You're trusting in His cross. You're trusting in His unchanging love for you. Then, man, it really begins make a difference in our life. I think a lot of times we get frustrated because we just don't get this. We trust in ourselves and our own walk and our own performance and our own goodness. But in all reality, we have to trust in Christ. Because if not, we're going to be defeated. Look at verse 8. They have bowed down and fallen, but, but we have risen and stand Upright. See the ones that trust in chariots and horses, they, they fall, they fail. Isaiah 31 1 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. You know, verse 9 says, Save, Lord, and he goes back to where we began. May the king answer us when we call. I don't know what the trouble is in your life. But but when it comes, when that battle takes place, here's what uh, I think we learn from this psalm: We gotta trust the Lord, trust in Him, and only Him. And as we pray and as we seek Him, and as you know, we trust that what ends up happening is, in the day of trouble, we get those days of triumph. Why? Because we trust in the name of the Lord. Psalm 18.3 says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. It's Jeremiah 33.3, 3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Ephesians 1.12, it talks about how our trust is in Christ. And I like what it says. It says that we who first trusted in Christ, there it is, trusted in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so when I I think of this, I think of Peter who in day one, the Lord said, you know, I want you to be a a fisher of men. And, And Peter said, depart from me. Where I'm a sinful man. You guys remember that? And the Lord says, that's okay. I'm going to make you a rock. That's kind of the day of salvation. And then, and then later on, man, when Peter, you know, he says, ah, I'm going fishing. I'm out of here, man. In one sense, it's kind of like a backsliding thing. And, and what does the Lord do? He just goes fishing for him, right? And he says, listen, don't trust in your own righteousness. Don't trust in your own performance, Trust in me. Of course, I, I, you know, want you guys to be obedient. You know, we try to hit the mark, man. We try to please God with that heart of obedience. But at the end of the day, I think that that ends up happening. Well, what ends up happening is we put the cart before the horse. No, put the Lord first. Trust in Him. Trust in His grace. Trust in His cross. Trust in His power. May He send you help from the sanctuary. May He from his holy hill in Mount Zion, strengthen you. See, that's my prayer, Matt, for me, for us as a church, like I said in the very beginning, that we would win. That we would win. And only in Christ, by his grace, by his spirit,
1: can that happen.
0: You excited? Yeah, you guys don't sound excited. I don't know, we're living in the last of the last days. I mean, Jesus is coming. Are we fired up? Are we serving him the way that we should? And I pray that the Lord would use just his love to change our life.